good thank you very much welcome back david pan here the professor pen podcast episode number 74 is it the 15th today it is it's november 15th 2023 we have almost come to the end of 2023 we're but a couple weeks away from the holidays and for those of you who are honest a lot of Americans have already started their party. It's already started. You know, heck, what's productivity? It's getting to be the end of the year. Let's start. Hey, have you started partying over there? And the, are you, have the have the young cohort started partying for the end of the year yet? Not quite ready. Well, it's cut. Hey, us older guys, we're already out. You know, productivity is down low. Uh, started out there with um, something very interesting. That's uh, James Brown, which is a soul brother number one for my generation, and one of his great jams. And, you know, this I played this because of culture. Culture is so interesting. And I have to make some presumptions based on my awareness and my you know, knowledge of history and, and uh, having been around the world. That looks, that if you go back and look at that video, off Instagram, it certainly looks to me like Chinese young women. It just does. And I could be wrong, but if they look, you know, and I, I know that Chinese people like to get together into group activities and film things and leave a record of it. It's a pastime there. But what was so interesting about this, since I understand so well what Chinese men and women in my cohort have said about black people over the course of 30 years of me interacting with them, which is not very positive. They get along just fine with the Dixiecrats and the know-nothings. Here's culture. Here is a room full of young Chinese women dressing in a way that's not traditional, some of them even, if you look closely, are dressed in a way that's sexually ambiguous, which is really working the margins, you know, in Chinese culture. And they're dancing in a very unusual way. I wouldn't call it hip-hop, but I would call it pretty good movement. That movement was good. And they're dancing to this jam from the 1960s. I mean, the whole scene is you know, phantasmagorical, we have young Chinese women, 
dressed not like young Chinese women, moving not like Chinese women, and doing it to a kind of music that is not really part and parcel of the everyday experience in China or in Chinese culture, even in this country. I'll bet I could put a hundred Chinese people in a room and ask them how many people in that group know James Brown, and we could go over a hundred. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. Could be wrong. I'm generalizing. Please forgive me. But, you know, we have to make some generalizations to make some sense of what we're seeing. And what we're seeing is the diffusion of culture, the diffusion of culture in a way that is not predictable or controllable by authority. That's what's so interesting about culture. Culture is a human organizing behavioral strategy that people agree upon because it prefers upon them survival benefits, like working out, being able to move your body, grooving, getting into the moment. These are all health-producing activities. But I just think it's so interesting that the diffusion of culture on a worldwide basis has led to this kind of amalgamation, and this is for good and for ill. On the good side is, wow, look at all of these traditional barriers and boundaries breaking down in allowing for the appreciation of a great American art form and a great American artist, James Brown, by people that traditionally would have frowned upon it. I think this is beautiful. On the other hand, well, there's one world culture, and that is something that, uh, ooh, I'm not really into that. I'm not into one world religion unless we all agree that there's a God. I'm not into one world religion. <laughs> we agree there's no God, which that right now is the world religion. Got to be honest about it. We've been talking about culture. We talked about culture in episode 73, the destruction or the demolition of um traditional Judeo-Christian culture in the United States. It's being demolished. And in its place, new forms are emerging. And there's a great opportunity for us as the American citizens to participate in the restoration or the recreation or the creation of a new American culture which serves the well-being of the American people, which is why I'm doing this. I want to welcome you back. Um, really enjoying the live chat. The live chat was quite lively. And I do want to ask my, my loyal listeners and followers, please spread out the content. Thank you for leaving comments, William, and all the rest of you that did so. I really appreciate that. We got an algorithm that's not kind to Free People Radio. So clicking the like button and leaving comments. And more than anything else, spreading this idea out, sharing it with people, bringing people into the community. We're doing really well as an overall. Free People Radio is growing very quickly. Professor Penn like to catch up with some of the other superstars here at Free People Radio, and I need your help, and I want to thank you for whatever you can do because I'm on the political action side, the organizational side of the equation over here. Well, uh, precinct strategy, have to mention it. Just saw Dan Schultz this week. He looked great. We appreciate everything he's doing. We want to get his podcast up on Free People Radio, but we're so busy. Dan, I'm sorry, we're going to get there. Uh, we're just trying to catch up with, you know, my eyes can't believe what my hands have created. Trying to catch up with what we're doing here. 
never want to lose track of this. I'm just going to say I didn't pray this morning. Um, I just want to say as a self-revelatory comment, I got a long way to go to grow, grow into this role. I take it very seriously working with you. Uh, I'm going to give myself an F. That's how self-critical that I am. Now, don't take this as I hate myself. I don't hate myself. I just know how far I would like to go because I view the solution to our country's problems of upstream of politics. As we were talking about last time, the politics is pretty confounded, and I really want to say it's my behavioral choices that I'm focused on, and I'm not happy with my progress since I saw you last. Maybe the next time I'll see you, I'll be really upbeat, but let me ask for forgiveness. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. Culture, um, we talked about the demolition of culture. And uh, we talked about the demolition of Judeo-Christian culture. And today I'm going to get into some things I hope uh, YouTube will support. And I'm going to say again, we're an underground transmission. I try to speak sometimes a little bit elliptically because if we meet things head on, we're going to run into a big strike. And I don't want to do that because I believe in the political process. I believe that our institutions are good and it's the people within them that suck, which means if the people restore their sacred honor, our institutions will be refreshed. So I don't want to create a condition where the message is deep-sixed because we go over the top with it. We have to kind of work together as a community to fill the blanks in. We've got the live chat. We've got social media to communicate. And we're always testing the limits. Not that we want to breach boundaries, but, you know, there is a effort to suppress certain ideas. We're living in a I'm not going to call it anti-religious, but it's certainly non-religious with a growing anti-religious sentiment and anti-Christian sentiment. And we were talking about the fundamentals of the Judeo-Christian culture. And I left one out, and I'm going to play it. And I'm going to play it because it, it's something that we all need to contemplate. Can you play this next one, please?
They first took off his clothes. Then they took long leather thongs with steel pellets or lead pellets on the end and beat him across the back until he could hardly stand up. Then they put a crown of thorns on his brow and his face was bleeding. And they laughed at him and they spit on him and they mocked him. And with one snap of his finger, 72,000 angels had already drawn their swords ready to come to his rescue and wipe this planet out of existence in the universe. And Jesus said, no, to this end was I born. He wasn't just another revolutionary. He wasn't just another hippie. He was not just another great man. He was God in the flesh. And oh, the ethics that he taught. Never a man spake like that man. When you get hit on one side, he says, turn the other cheek. He never said what to do after that. But he did say, forgive 70 times 7. Count that up. Jesus taught that we're to forgive. He taught a revolution in the way we're to live. He taught us that it wasn't just our outward actions that God judges, but it's the inward thoughts and intents. And he dragged and lifted and hauled that cross. He didn't squirm, he didn't yell, he didn't scream. He just took it and said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he died on that cross, they nailed him. They put the nails in his hands. And you know what he said? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. Could you forgive somebody that's putting nails in your hands and you know you didn't deserve it? Then look at the death he died. Did ever a man die like Jesus? The lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the earth began to shake. And even the soldiers confessed that this must be the Son of God. Anyone that can see Jesus on that cross and not be touched has a heart of stone. And then, on the cross, he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he dropped his head and said, it's finished. What did he mean? He meant your plan of salvation was finished. God can now forgive you of all your sins because Jesus had finished God's plan for your salvation. Because you see, God knows every one of you by name. He has the hairs of your head numbered. Well, we'll see if that gets up. Should be interesting to find out tomorrow night if we get around that corner, right? You know, I, I cry when I see that, and um, my heart is not hard. So I'm just playing that to say the fundamentals of our culture, the fundamentals of our culture are under assault, and that's what's really, I didn't cover that last time, but that's what really the forces of, science and scientism and godlessness are coming for to invalidate this revolutionary idea to love God 
and to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, those are some really, you know, powerful ideas. Probably the not they're the most powerful ideas in human history. And there's this tremendous two thousand year effort to undermine them. And here we sit at the crossroads of time where those ideas have been undermined. They are going away. And what I want to do is commit to you, commit to myself, commit to the Free People Radio, to Free People of America, that the, the work is done inside myself. You know, what can I do? And i got to close those seals of, uh, of evil to whatever extent that I can. I'm asking you to join me in that because we really don't know what the impact of that's going to be. We know that every time we have an election, the American nationalist movement is up in the polls and loses on election day. So it's time to come up with some alternative strategies, and I'm working on that with you. Well, we'll see if that goes up. We're going to have some more stuff like that today. Could be a big blank when it comes to Thursday night at 7.30. We're all together, and there's a big blank. Well, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to hope for the best. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about In Your Face. In Your Face. Can you play this on the um, mass evacuations, please? The war between Israel and Hamas. Tonight, Gaza's hospitals are at the center of the fight. And amid the mounting civilian toll, American diplomats in the region are warning the Biden administration of the growing fury in the Arab world. Explosion shaking the refugee encampment in the parking lot of a hospital in Gaza. Palestinian officials blame Israel Israel accuses Hamas of using civilians as human shields. Gaza's hospitals are increasingly unable to provide the most basic of care. The death toll now more than 11,000. A mass exodus of Palestinians now on the move, leaving northern Gaza, heading south, most on foot, most with no place to go. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken expressing concern, saying far too many Palestinians have been killed. Meantime, the urgent negotiations underway for the 239 hostages caught in the middle. ABC's Matt McGutman leads us off tonight from Israel. Tonight, the explosions rattling Gaza's main hospitals, buildings shuddering, and the cries from the wounded. By night, the sky lit up by flares and missiles. By day, Israeli troops in close combat, going building to building, room to room, closing their noose on northern Gaza. The hospital's main parking lots now housing tents filled with people. The hallways crammed with refugees, gurneys bearing the wounded lining the corridors. Today, an explosion at Gaza's main hospital, Al-Shifa. This girl screaming, why God, why? Israel saying the explosion was caused by a failed Palestinian rocket launch. Military spokesman Peter Lerner says Hamas has turned the hospitals into their base of operations. They have positioned all of their capabilities in, around, and beneath hospitals. But if there are thousands of patients who are wounded, some of them very severely, who cannot be moved. They can be moved. There are ambulance services that are up and running. It's a matter of deciding to move them. But one of Al-Shifa's top doctors telling me it can't be done. What would happen if you did have to evacuate all the people who still remain? If you say evacuate the patient, it means you want me to kill at least 100 patients at one second. Tonight, with the Hamas-run health ministry saying the death toll is over 11,000, the strongest criticism yet by the U.S. of Israel's handling of the war against Hamas. Far too many Palestinians have been killed. Far too many have suffered. 
But Secretary of State Blinken acknowledging Israel has opened humanitarian quarters. Thousands today fleeing south on this highway and evacuation route designed by the Israeli military. Over 150,000 fleeing in just the past two days. The elderly often pulled along on carts, many carrying white flags. And tonight, the New York Times reporting progress is being made on a deal that could see the release of scores of the 239 hostages still held in Gaza. That would include most of the women and children, including Shiri Bibas. That video showing her terror as she was kidnapped from her kibbutz, along with her two children, Kfir, only 10 months old. What milestones should Kfir, who's now 10 months, be meeting? Maybe walking a few steps. Recognizing faces, smiling faces. I can't, I can't. What is it like thinking that the faces he's now learning to recognize are most likely those of his captors? It's heartbreaking. Lindsay, Israel has said that over the past 24 hours, its forces have operated not just in the Gaza Strip, but also in the West Bank, along the Red Sea, in Syria and in Lebanon, where it's been fighting this low-level war with a powerful Iranian-backed proxy, Hezbollah. The concern is that one wrong move on either side, and that could become a major war. Lindsay. Mounting fears of possible escalation, Thank mad thing. Thank you. So we don't... Uh... We don't know what's going on, on the ground there day by day. We just have to go with what our trusted media shares with us. And I looked across the spectrum of media today, and I didn't see anything really new from what we knew yesterday or the day before. But the people involved in this are willing to die. I mean, that's quite obvious when you get a bunch of marauders going in and doing this kind of mayhem. I don't want to say it was a suicide mission, but these were young men ready, willing, and able to kill and to be killed in their cause. And what we end up getting into when people are willing to die like this, particularly in a tribal conflict, humiliation becomes very important. And there's a lot of efforts right now being made to put some very humiliating scenes up on media because the goal is to break the will of these people to destroy their movement both materially and spiritually. Can you play this on the flag raising, please? This is the flag going up in Gaza, the Israeli flag with uh, Israeli soldiers standing at the ready in the salute. They're singing a song in Hebrew. It's uh, famous. And their ability to sing in tune in a way that's lovely. They get an F. In fact, it's so horrifying, they might be trying to be horrifying. They sound like ghouls. got the idea of this one. Let's play the next one. These are humiliating scenes that the Arab and Muslim world have to pay attention to. Not fun. Flag has come up in the Gaza Strip. In fact, IDF soldiers are now hoisting the Israeli flag in the Gaza Strip. The forces are now claiming just as the world defeated ISIS, we are defeating Hamas. 
Radical Islam is the enemy of humanity. Israel is making a world, is making this world a better place. This is a statement coming in from the Israeli Defense Forces now. The soldiers, the visuals that you see on your screens, are now hanging the Israeli flag in the Gaza city. It's good, thank you. So what we have here is uh, the humiliation of the Palestinian people. Uh, they're, they're losing this, which is no surprise because they're technologically um, mismatched with the Israeli army. And the Palestinians, of course, are very disappointed that Hezbollah in Lebanon has not escalated a northern war with Israel. And, you know, this is really where we're at today. And I looked at it just before I came on set, waiting to see, or ex not expecting, but, you know, just didn't want to make a false statement. As of this moment, nothing has really changed with Hezbollah in northern Israel on the Lebanese border. Palestinians are very disappointed that Hezbollah has not entered this conflict in a more sincere and in-depth way it's kind of, you know I'm not saying they're not killing each other up there but it's not a general war and uh, the the threats are quite uh, extreme very extreme uh, on both sides but you know, nothing's happening that's leaving these Palestinian these Gazans on their own you saw those scenes of a mass evacuation I mean you know I, I try to put myself in that headspace one day I'm in my house and the next day I fill up a backpack with, with whatever I think I need, and then I'm evacuating. This is the kind of experience that is life-altering. And if you take a look at the scenes of Gaza, there's not going to be too much for these people to come back to. Israel is turning Gaza, you know, into a sandbox. So uh, this is a, a humiliating moment. It's a moment where Israel is continuing to press its case and its military action. Uh, Secretary Blinken is, uh, you know, starting to run cover, you know, because the uh, administration's got to be on both sides of this equation, both sides of the football. And I think about 400 um, U.S. government employees in the State Department are either resigning or threatening to resign because they want the U.S. government to restrain Israel. So there's a lot of warp and woof, a lot of talking. But when it comes to the fighting, the Gazans are on their own. And uh, that's just the way it is right now. Maybe it'll change, but it looks to me like uh, the uh, rumors of uh, an impending World War III nuclear exchange over this could be a little overblown. So... We're going to go along, we're going to monitor this, and we're going to you know, mourn the deaths and pray for peace. I'm going to pray for peace, and I, I urge you to pay, pray for it also. We don't know how it's going to work out. We just want it to be peaceful. And for those of us in the audience that are going to say, let's kill every one of these people, well, you know, killing everybody, that's ethnic cleansing. We want to stay away from that. That's not a good foundation to move forward. Let's pray that there's some kind of result here that elevates all of humanity. Such things are not impossible. We just judge that they're impossible. Thereby, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Let's not judge lest we be judged. Let's open up the space for peace. Peace, something we would all want to aspire for, 
even the most hardened killers among us, most of them, not all of them, some of them prefer war and killing, most of them would like to move to a more peaceful world. All right, we got to uh, talk a little bit about uh, how Free People Radio uh, stays on air. And uh, I'm going to ask you to go to freepeopleradio.com if you want to support the content. We appreciate your support. We're trying to be self-financed. We don't want to sell time. We don't want to sell out. We're trying to uh, create a uh, financial ecosystem where we can continue to build this content and build this distribution and not go broke in the process. Now, one of the fundamental things we're doing here is we're in the tire business, uh, tiregit.com, tiregit.com. So one of the things I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing these live reads, which you will see starting to show up in all of your conservative media spaces. So please humor me. Tiregit.com. Tiregit.com is an online e-commerce tire retailer. We are here to serve the American public with the best pub, the best possible customer service, the best pricing, and we make it extremely easy. We have many name brands and a lot of low-cost tires. The price is right, and it's easy. You go online to Tireget.com, T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com, Tireget.com. You go there, you put your zip code in, all the inventory displays right in front of you. You can call in for help if you want to. We'll help you get the tire that you need. But we will take the tires you buy and at no extra charge deliver them to the dealer right by your house where they will be installed at the market price. It's easy. The best price, the best service. Great people to deal with. Thank you for going to Target. All right, we're going to practice that. That's a Target live read. Thank you for humoring me. We're going to get back to the script. And we're going to move on to something you're going to relate to, remaking the Republican Party. It needs a makeover. Woo! Does it need a makeover? Let's play this piece here uh, on the candidates. You're going to like this. As President of the United States, what would you be urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do at this moment? Governor DeSantis. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. What I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border, and then I'll tell him as President of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. They have to, one, eliminate Hamas, two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it, and three, make sure we bring our hostages home. Diplomacy only is a weak strategy. Appeasement leads to war. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to destroy it. America is here, no matter what it is you need at any time, to preserve the state of Israel. How far would you go militarily to hold Iran accountable? I am not going to put our troops in harm's way unless you're willing to defend them with everything you have. We are not just going to sit there 
and let our service members be sitting ducks, and that's true whether it's Iran or whether it's any country on the world. There would be no Hamas without Iran. There would be no Hezbollah without Iran. There would not be the Houthis without Iran. And there wouldn't be the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq that are trying to hear, hit our military men and women if it hadn't been for Iran. And you don't respond to an enemy and a terrorist with fear. You respond with strength. Are you persuaded by President Zelensky's urgent new plea? Where do you stand on more funding? I'm absolutely unpersuaded. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to The see fact that. of the matter is she doesn't answer So this the is what I will tell you. We're is, driving Russia all, into China's hands. Now is the time to get partnerships. This unholy alliance between Russia, Ukraine, and China is real. Those of us who forget history are doomed to repeat it and the, I'd like to respond and the absolute the absolute giving in to dictators which is being suggested on this stage just shows the immaturity of the approach we need to bring this war to an end we need the Europeans to step up and do their fair share and we need to get serious about the top threat that this country faces which is the Chinese Communist Party we should be arming Taiwan make sure they have the equipment they need there's nothing China fears more than knowing that America will have Taiwan's back here's why we can't get tough with China it's because we depend on them for our modern way of life and we have to declare economic independence from our enemy. My message to Xi Jinping is this. You are done buying land in this country. You will not donate to universities in this country. U.S. businesses won't expand into the Chinese market until you play by the same set of Mr. rules. Mr. You're kicked out of the WTO, following. and you actually have to have accountability for the COVID-19 pandemic financially, you, which unleashed hell on the world. We have to hold them accountable. The long-term threat is China. Immediate threat is our southern border. The nuclear submarines in this United States Navy is the greatest deterrent to Chinese aggression, and that is the first place I would go to increase American naval power. We have to have the ability to back up a strategy of denial of President Xi's ambitions. Thanks for watching. Stay updated. Yeah, thanks for watching. Isn't that a thrill? <laughs> I'm going to comment on a couple of issues that came up there, but overall, 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 that's the most underwhelming group of know-nothings, war hawks, and neocons, other than some of the comments that Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy made. <laughs> the lack of creativity, the homogenous politics, the acceptance of America as the empire, that has the right, nay, the responsibility. You know, we're talking about arming Taiwan. Oh, Iran, that's a great one. This is a little reminiscent of 9-11. We attacked the Saudis and went to war with Iraq. What a great work that was. Don't you think that's kind of a scam? 18 of 20 of the hijackers on 9-11 were Saudi. And the next thing you know, it came from Saddam Hussein, and away we went on a wilding. You know, it had nothing to do with anything. So Hamas attacks Israel. It's a Sunni Muslim group. It's funded by the Turks and the Qataris. There's not a lot of funding that comes from Iran. They're Shia. 
their crew is the Hezbollah and the Houthis, Shia militias. In fact, not that long ago, and of course it could be tomorrow, the Shias and Sunnis will kill each other like any other group that don't like each other. They're, they're two sides of the same you know, group, but they hate each other like Democrats and Republicans. But, you know, they attack Hamas. Hamas is Sunni, funded by the Turks, funded by the Qataris. Oh, let's go attack the Iranians. It's a misdirection. So you're talking about arming Taiwan, and China's our biggest threat. We managed to talk about uh, uh, Ukraine, another war, and this war over in the Middle East. And these people are talking about war, 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 war. You know, this is getting tiring for me, very tiring. And the one part that was so interesting was when Vivek Ramaswamy started talking about Ukraine and Nikki Haley put him down and said, dictators are salivating to have a man like, and what she's talking about really is Donald Trump or an America firster, an American nationalist that does not want to support the empire, that wants to take care of Professor Penn and all my problems, which are enormous. And I would like my government to pay attention to the needs of the American people because I'm an American person. Isn't that kind of selfish of me? Yes, it is. Right now we're thinking about the Taiwanese, the Ukrainians, Hamas, the Israelis. I mean, we're all over the world with every concern, these people that want to get elected, and they're all sitting around waiting for Donald Trump to stumble, and then, you know, if he does stumble, and, you know, I'm going to just say not because I want to throw my support behind Donald Trump or not support, I'm just saying he's a transformative and critical American political figure, you know, let's God protect him because there's a lot of people that want to kill him. So, you know, thank you, God, for protecting Donald Trump so we can have a constitutional political process. But if for some reason Trump couldn't get in the blocks for the 2024 election, we'd most likely end up with this woman, Nikki Haley, as the Republican nominee. And I have met her and spoken with her, and she is exactly who she portrays herself to be. She is a saleswoman for empire. I don't know if she believes in it. I'm really not quite sure what she believes because. I find it fantastic that someone could believe as she does. I figure she must be fronting because how can anybody believe like she does? But, hey, you know, if we lose Donald Trump, it's Nikki Haley. Everybody has to look inside and say, here's who we are. And, Elliot, would you just play who we are this next piece on the flyovers? Because this is who we are. Listen to the screams and the cheer.
That's good. Thank you. You know that fi- that flying wing at the end there, that that uh, stealth bomber. That design was the first developed by the Nazis. Just sharing with you, those Nazi scientists came over here, and hey, the rest is history. You know, my point is this. I'm just going to say this as an American citizen. Our country's most important industry is developing weapons of war. Unless we use those weapons, unless we turn that inventory, the companies that create these weapons don't get the reorder. You know, it's like in the tire business. Can't buy more tires until the tires in the inventory are sold. Otherwise, there's no place to put them. And guess what? The bombs were building up. But now we're using them all over the world. We're using so many of them, we don't have enough production. So we can open up more bomb factories. Isn't that great? So American citizens who are not working, who are living hand to mouth, many of them are going to get to work in the war factories and make good money. Hey, that's our economy. Aaron Burnett even said this on on CNN, that you can't mess with the military-industrial complex because so many jobs depend on it. We are completely insane as a people. Insane. We are accepting insanity as reality. We need to wake up from this. The end of this is not good. As it was said, live by the sword and die by the sword. We're living by the sword. That's just the way it is. And we've got all these people, all these never-Trumpers. And what did Trump do? No wars for four years in the Abraham Accords. No wars. No wars for four years. Good enough for me. Good enough for me. Give me any president that keeps my children out of a war has my vote. If they're coming across my border, hey, I will go because I'll have to. We'll be fighting in our own backyards. Oh, wait a second. They are coming across our border in the millions. Where is our self-defense? Why are we not defending ourselves? I could go on and on. I know you all know this. It has to be set as a marker, just as a marker. Got to put it down. There's a guy named David French. He works for the New York Times. He's a never-Trumper. He published a, um, an opinion piece since I saw you last about Mike Johnson, and David French self-identifies as a, you know, as an evangelical. And, of course, so does our new speaker, Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson said, um, if you want to know what I think about things, this is his quote, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview. And David French made a big point of saying the Bible does not tell us what the funding for the IRS should be. You know, he was into that there. The Bible has certain key principles, like telling the truth. And he went to work on a former co-worker of his, which was Mike Johnson, David French, and Johnson worked in the same law firm. And he was going to work on him and saying, you know, you're a liar, Mike Johnson. You really supported the big lie. And here's what he said. This is from French. It was one of the most comprehensively and transparently dishonest political movements in American history. You know, I'm going to say something. Let's get this clarified so we can end this argument with the big lie. This is a question of messaging. I'm going to tell you as a political operative, you can fence things a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different ways to sell something. I'm going to sell it to you the way I believe it is. 
the Democrat Party, the leftists, the globalists, the uni party, because the Republican Party's in on this too, which we'll see in a second. The globalists, funded by globalists, went on a 20-year legal campaign to change the laws around elections in this country. The laws are changed. So if you change a rule so that there's automatic voter registration when you get a driver's license, and then you change another rule so that illegal aliens in your state can get a driver's license such that many illegals will now go vote because they're non-government organizations, the NGOs that, that organize these illegals, tell them, go vote, shoot your best shot. And you say, oh, it was a big steal. It was, it was fraud. It's n- this is my opinion. You can fence it anyway, but I want to fence it in a way that we can do something about it. The laws have been changed. Now we have millions of new illegal alien voters throughout this country. So what's the battle line? It's the absentee ballot boards and the election officials that are going to police the fence if a ballot is legal or illegal, if a voter is a legal voter or an illegal voter. That's the game. Now, you can say, oh, there's illegal voters. It's fraud. You know what? You could say it's a big lie to to talk like that because the real game is lawfare. Where is the conservative movement on the legal front to address these issues? Like, for example, in Texas, where Attorney General Ken Paxton Filed 30, fought 38 lawsuits, won 38 out of 40 matches against the globalists to preserve election laws in the state of Texas. Now, of course, the leftists said that Paxton was restricting voter access. I mean, this is a giant scam, this whole thing. It's great for raising money. It raises money on both sides. A lot of lawyers make a lot of money. It's a big, big, another, it's just another wedge issue. Let's get it down to what works. You want to change the law? Get involved in the law. You want to confront this thing? Join your absentee ballot board. Be an election official. I know many of you are. This is the critical front line. This is not lying or frauding. This is called politics. If you don't show up to guard your border, your border's open, conservatives. So I just wanted to clarify that because we can stay trapped in this thing with the left forever. The big lie, this will go on forever. You know, I listen to MSNBC, (laughs) Willie Geist, the insurrection, the coup. You know, just stop, stop, stop. Let's not play their game. Let's just go out and get involved. This is a political action committee. I know we're going to have more success in the future. If I could motivate one of you to become an election official, that would make my time here worthwhile. Boy, we're making the party. And boy, we got some skullduggerous characters in here, like Rana. Let's just look at this from two ends. We're going to show you a reviled character, Rana, who is the leader of the RNC, the Republican National Committee. And let's see what she's working against, because she is working against Donald Trump, a very popular and beloved figure 
in half the country. I mean, loved like never before. And they're working on this guy, Hammer and Tong. Let's take a look at Trump entering the stadium. Look at this. You didn't see it. How strong that team is making his way into the building. One of the bigger mixed martial arts fans, I know President Donald Trump taking his octagon side seat for UFC 295. We got two title fights coming up at UFC 295 here in a matter of moments. Live from Madison Square Garden. And President Trump will be here to witness all of it. Four of the very best fighters in the world set to take their cracks that's at good, like heavyweight. So that's the very popular among certain circles. The very popular President Donald Trump. Huge support from the people. Huge support from the Republican base. Way out in front. And I will tell you as a party officer, the establishment, the Republican Party establishment led by Rana, we're going to take a look at now, they are working behind the scenes with everything they got to submarine Donald Trump. They are so full of bleep. Not supposed to say it like that. I don't want to swear. They suck so bad. They got their thumb on the scale so hard. They're doing everything they can to get Donald Trump out of the Republican Party. Not because it's Donald Trump. I mean, that's a scam, too. You know, he's an authoritarian. You know, now they're calling him a Nazi, a, you know, a fascist. I mean, it's just everything. They don't like him because there's no wars under Donald Trump. They don't like him because the people that really pay the money, the militarists behind the whole program, they're not going to sell any inventory when Donald Trump is president because Donald Trump's a businessman that prefers peace to war. And that makes him an enemy of the entire establishment. Starting with this human being, Rana, please play the 334 piece with Ingram. If you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. All right, joining me now, Rana McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Rana, thanks so much. Just for a second, just stop it. I just want you to know, I know almost all of you have heard this, but on the chance some of you have not heard it, let's just even dial it back a little bit deeper than that. Mitt Romney, rhino extraordinaire, globalist extraordinaire, a man who has no care or relationship with the American people, a patrician, a senator from Utah, former presidential candidate, the only Republican that voted to impeach Donald Trump in the Senate, a man who is opposed to the American national movement, a globalist, the savior of the Olympics. I mean, I could go on and on. The exporter of jobs to China. I could go for 10 minutes on this man's catalog of actions that disadvantaged American citizens. He's the uncle of this woman. This woman is the chairman of the Republican National Committee, her uncle, her uncle, her uncle, her family. These people are the bedrock of globalism. Please continue. For being with us. Um, Vivek and others are saying that under your leadership, Republicans have lost election after election and positing the question, you know, uh, why should you retain your job given the track record of the party under your leadership? And to that, what do you say? 
Well, first, I'm going to continue to focus on Joe Biden and Democrats. And I think there was a moment missed la during that debate by Vivek to talk about the fact that we still have 13 American host hostages in Israel, the fact that, for the first time ever in the history of either party, we had a Jewish co-sponsor for a debate, and we are in very perilous times in our country. And I do think Republican voters—and I hear this echoed all the time—are tired of the circular firing squad within our party, and they're saying, can we please talk about Joe Biden and the Democrats and the border and fentanyl and crime and what's happening to our kids and inflation. But I'll yeah. definitely defend my record as chair. You know, she's the chairwoman of the party. I hear that exact same speech from her representatives here in Minnesota. We're so tired of the circular firing squad. Couldn't we just have unity? You national, David Penn, you're the devil. I've heard that. You know, people call me the devil. Why? Because I don't agree with these people. They don't want to do politics. They want to label, control, and minimize the particip participation of American citizens that would really like to be involved in the party. Let's continue and finish this. Ron, I think I, I agree with you. Let me just say, I, I mean, all that, all that you just said, I, I couldn't agree with more. But and and you're right. I mean, obviously that 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 should be a key focus. But I, I know you believe in accountability. You, you talk about it all the time. I mean, everyone. I mean, I'm accountable. So you're right. Okay, that's what I asked you, and you went into another, you know, another. Yeah, I was going to go there. Sorry, I took too long on the answer, but I was getting there. I'm not trying okay. to avoid anything. All Let right. me promise you that, Laura. Listen, when when Vivek didn't vote in 2016, I was leading Michigan to the first win in history in 30 years. In 2018, we defied the odds. We got three senators, people like Josh Hawley, that allowed President Trump to build the largest conservative majority on the Supreme Court. In 2022, the RNC, which is a yeah. turnout machine, right? We're not the messengers. We don't create the messages for the campaigns. Stop, Those are the consultants please. who get. This thing, I mean, she's got a script. I have to listen to this drivel right here in Minnesota. Turnout machine, what a great job you're doing, Rana. Nobody turned out. That's why we lose, because this woman is birth control to turnout. Please continue. Get very, very well paid. Well, one of the things, they, they, though, Rana, that happened was, I think, in Virginia, people were wondering where the money was, whether they were going to get some help from the RNC. And I, I know it, at one point you said that, that you were not asked for money in Virginia, but a source, a Republican source familiar with the Youngkin team in Virginia told the angle late tonight that that is false. And well, there, just... meaning your story keeps changing. Anyone who thinks Virginia Republicans wouldn't want help when we knew we'd be outspent isn't being serious. You know, Rana, well, they were Laura, outspent by $8 million. This. Glenn Youngkin and, and did a phenomenal job, and he raised a lot of money. A lot of people don't understand fundraising. I can't raise state dollars. I don't get unlimited convention and, yeah. and state dollars. Uh, and Stop, these please. were Okay, I'm stupid. See how she did that? A lot of people just don't understand. You know, you dummies. Our audience, we're a bunch of dummies. We don't understand. Let me tell you how it really goes down. The real deal is these people raise hundreds of millions of dollars every year, billions since she was installed. They pick who gets the money. There's a Senate fund, a House fund, the RNC. These people are, and she's going to say she doesn't, you know, get involved in the messaging. That's up to the consultants. Well, the consultants are on her payroll. They are totally involved in the messaging. 
They just don't want to admit to it. They twist everything and control all the levers of power. In the Uni Party, as thought control for the American nationalists, she is the ability of this woman to distort the truth, in my opinion, is legendary. Let's continue. State House and State Senate races, the RNC is a federal it. committee. So, I mean, come on. Can you just, right. this, these are people who come after me all the time. They're on Twitter, they're all the time. And let's see their results. What did they do in Virginia? How much money Stop, did they please. get? But let me. Heard the same thing here in Minnesota. What did you do? What school board candidates did you support? You know, these people are losers. They provide no leadership. They provide no charisma. Here's President Trump walking into a Uf UFC, big event, full stadium, people going wild with the ever-present and very cool Kid Rock with, you know, Dana White. I mean, the thing was cool. It had some juice, had some excitement. Look at her. You want to follow her? What are you, Crypt Keeper? You're 462 years old. She's your, hey, if you're 462, she's looking pretty good. Let's continue. Let me stand by something else. In 2022, Ronna, we, got, we took back yeah. the House. And the RNC's yeah, Ronna, part of that. We we're building roll. the road. And yeah. we're launching Bank Your Vote. We've got to All do right. that. Ronna, Stop, please, again, and we're going to be done with her. We're launching back Bank Your Vote. Well, I'm going to leave you a little story here. I used to do a thing here. I stopped because I got tired of assisting these people. I used to do a very cool thing, which I would have called the precinct strategy, but they'd all freak out because the last thing they want is a precinct strategy. They, you know, my three stooges. Remember the three? We haven't talked about the three stooges for a while. The three stooges of the Republican Party, the leadership. Mr. We don't do that here. He's a national committee man. He works with Ron and their personal friends. Mr. We don't do that here. That would be called politics. Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. That would be the leader of the Republican Party here in my area. Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. Why? Because if there was more Republicans, he'd lose his job. And Mr. History doesn't matter. Military intelligence, high up in the party, telling people don't pay attention to history. Just listen to the man behind the curtain. Listen to the Wizard of Oz. We'll tell you who to kill next. These people are so bad. They're so bad. And you know, I think most of them know they're bad and they don't care. They don't care. They want to be bad. They want to participate in an empire that has military industrial complex assets throughout the world. They want to participate in a system that holds one race superior and another inferior, even though that's morphed into a different kind of a form, but it's the same Darwinist idea. They think they won the game. They don't care about me. They don't care about my children. They don't care about my community. They certainly don't care about the black people living in Minneapolis. They don't even go into that community. And Ronna McDaniel is the leader of that band. And let me tell you how we're going to get rid of her. There's only one way to get rid of these people. Caucuses in Minnesota or in your state, please find out by going to precinctstrategy.com where the rules of your state will be found. Please, 24 hours a year, one day a year. We're all sitting around complaining the end is near. Armageddon is coming. The end times are here. You know, 
I'm going to share with you my thinking. Let's say that's true. I'm not going to just sit back and go, well, the end times are here, because I think I'm going to get judged for that. I'm going to do, this is why I'm doing this with you. I'm going to do everything I can to tell the truth, to spread a message of love and cooperation and peace. And if the end times come, I will be able to die with some dignity. So that's an important part for me. So every one of us can become delegates in our state parties. There are 183 Republican National Committee people, three from every state and from the territories. They elect this woman, Rana. They elected her. They just recently reelected her to be the chairman of the chairwoman of the party again, even though she has a a horrible record of losing everything she does. As I said, Republicans are always ahead in the polls and lose on election day. That's why we know that the turn-out-the-vote machine that she's saying we're just a turn-out-the-vote machine, she's failing at that. She's not turning out the vote. Why? Because the message that they're allegedly not involved in, which, of course, they're in charge of, sucks. It doesn't motivate young people. It doesn't address the issues of the day. They run neocon war hawks that have nothing to do with the American people, and they're, they're showcasing these people in debates that President Trump, who's up by 50 points, doesn't even show up to. They're advertising corruption, in my opinion, other than Vivek. So there's 183 National Committee people. They are elected in your state. If we're going to change this country, we're going to change this party. We're going to remake it by getting rid of people like Rana and the three National Committee people we got here in Minnesota. You know, Alex Plekish, Bob Sutter, Barb Sutter, and David Hand. Those are our three elected National Committee people. All rhinos, all anti the America First movement. They all hate me. Some of them even told me they hate me. One of them threatened me twice, actually three times. So I'm going to just say, when we have people that will not listen to the American public that's coming in and asking for change, when their entire strategy is to suppress this change, who are these people? Who are these people? You know, I don't even want to ask who they are. I know who they are. We just need new delegates to vote them out. So on February 27th here in Minnesota, go to your caucus and get elected as a delegate in your neighborhood. Then go to your Senate District Convention and get elected as a Senate District Delegate. Then you will be able to vote for who your party endorses as a candidate so you can vet these war hawks out, these let's saddle the American people with $100 trillion of debt and then take all their net worth away. Those people, get rid of them and vote in good candidates, endorse good candidates, and then get rid of these national committee people that continue to portray themselves as competent when they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. They're living in a, a dream world. They are the controlled opposition to globalism. They're part of the globalist project, and they're okay with that. As long as that 4 or $5 trillion for the medical-industrial complex and the military-industrial complex continues to be allocated. They're on the payroll. They're doing just fine. 
And while we're arguing about all these things and getting concerned about all these things, the real big changes that really matter, I'm going to tell you right now, <coughs> it chokes me up. I'm going to have to talk about this carefully or this won't even get up. This episode won't get up. And I'm going to say again, it's not necessarily, insti- it's not necessarily inst- the institutions that are corrupt. It's the people that hold power in the institutions. That's why us getting involved and bringing back sacred honor to our political process is so important. But while we're looking at Taiwan and Hamas and debt and all the problems that beset us, it's crazy. Culture just keeps on moving along. Remember, culture is upstream of politics. So let's talk about what's going on in the world, and let's remember And as I talk about this, you know, I have to be very aware that this is our culture. So we're going to speak of it in, you know, not necessarily uh, disparaging terms. Just want to know what's really going on. Or as Bob Marley's saying, check out the real situation. Can you play this piece on the digital passport, please? The collaboration between the World Health Organization and the European Union was announced during a joint press conference in Geneva on June 5. The purpose of this collaboration is to establish a global system of digital vaccine passports based on the EU's digital COVID-19 certification system. The intention behind this global system is to facilitate international travel and safeguard individuals worldwide against current and future health threats, including pandemics. According to the WHO press release, this initiative serves as the initial step in the development of the WHO Global Digital Health Certification Network, which aims to create a variety of digital solutions to enhance healthcare for everyone. The COVID-19 pandemic highlighted the value of digital health solutions in facilitating access to health services, who Director General Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus said during the press conference. While the emergency phase of the COVID-19 pandemic is now over, investment in digital infrastructure remains an important resource for health systems and for economies and societies at large. The WHO has stated that they will use the EU Digital COVID Certificate as a model to establish a global digital health certificate. For the full story, please visit the link in the description. Okay, so there's your digital passport that's based to your health status. And... uh the World Health Organization is in its final uh, edits of their pandemic treaty. The World Health Organization uh, welcomed a historic commitment by global leaders at the United Nations General Assembly to strengthen the international cooperation, coordination, and governance in investment needed to prevent a repeat of the devastating health and socioeconomic impact caused by COVID-19 to make the world better prepared for future pandemics and to get back on track to achieving the sustainable development goals. We've talked about these, the SDGs, the sustainable development goals. You go back and look at it. Okay, so we've got digital passports on our phones. We have a pandemic treaty that will be passed in the law in May of 2024. The United States is already a signatory, a member of the uh, World Health Organization, so that will require no ratification in our Congress. It'll be a treaty that 
will govern our government's activities during the next pandemic because they're going to protect me and they're going to protect you. And that's so reassuring. And then, of course, we're going to have the pandemic treaty and the digital passports. And as this debt gets higher and higher and the dollar fails, we're going to get the central bank digital currencies. We're living in a transition to a digitized world of identification for my well-being, for my health and safety, for your health and safety. So, oh, by the way, just because, you know, these people have a sense of humor, the um, negotiations for the pandemic treaty were led by ambassadors Jilad Erdan of Israel and Omar Hillel of Morocco, two former enemies, Morocco and Israel, that came together under the Abrahamic Accords and formed a, a cooperation, a peace agreement. So the WHO put Morocco and Israel together to lead the negotiations to come up with this pandemic treaty. I think that's so equitable, so socially sustainable. Fantastic. Dr. Tedros said governments and multilateral partners have already commenced building the foundations for a safer world with the establishment of the Pandemic Fund and the WHO Hub for Pandemic and Epidemic Intelligence, the WHO BioHub, to voluntarily share novel, that means new, biological materials, and the mRNA Vaccine Technology Transfer Hub. Oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Part of this treaty, and I think this is very important, I'm sure you're going to like this, and I know you know why I'm talking like this, because it's not the institutions. It's the people. If the people have sacred honor and the people are really concerned about the well-being of the world's citizens, this is great. If the people that are running to have sacred honor, that's great. Because, of course, they're going to take measures to counter and address the negative impacts of health-related misinformation disinformation, hate speech, hate speech and stigma, stigmatization, especially on social media platforms, on people's physical and mental health, including countering vaccine hesitancy in the context of pandemic prevention, preparedness and response, and to foster trust in public health systems and authorities, including an increasing public health education, literacy, and awareness, while recognizing that the effect of Engagement of stakeholders requires access to timely, accurate, and evidence-based information and awareness rising through the use of digital health tools. You know, that's one sentence. That's one sentence. That's the longest sentence I've ever read. I think it's great. I'm going to read it one more time. It's such a great sentence. It's such a part of a great treaty. One sentence. Listen, and I will read. I'll do a better job. The pandemic treaty will take measures to counter and address the negative impacts of health-related misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, and stigmatization, especially on social media platforms, on people's physical and mental health, including countering vaccine hesitancy 
in the context of pandemic prevention, preparedness and response, and to foster trust in public health systems and authorities, including by increasing public health education, literacy and awareness, while recognizing that the effective engagement of stakeholders requires access to timely, accurate, and evidence-based information and awareness raising, including inform- awareness raising, including through the use of digital health tools. What a sentence. Wow. Someone composed that sentence. That's a mouthful. It's fantastic. And you know, if we have doctors and politicians in our world that are concerned for the well-being of the people, I think it's crackerjack because I would like my life to be saved if there's another pandemic. I'm sure the live chat will be quite lively on this issue. And uh, I'm bringing it up again because culture, culture is not controllable. It moves on its own like those young Chinese woman dancing to James Brown. That was a shocker to me. That's why I played it. And the culture around all these issues is in the hands of the people. Now, there are those that believe they can shape and control the culture, but they would be wrong. We are the culture. We are the culture. So let us be well-educated, well-informed, and let us look at our institutions and respect them Because after all, Professor Penn prays for peace. That means that the people who are upstream of politics at the cultural level, we need to, and I need to, and I commit to doing this, I need to pursue a higher level of goodness. I need to not accept sin in my life and woe. That's a challenge, isn't it? And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge myself. I hope I transform right in front of you over the months and years to come. I would like to be a good person. Because there's all these people that suck, right? They're everywhere. So I'm going to talk and finish our podcast tonight with something local, but it's national. It's two very successful politicians here in Minnesota. And that would be Senator Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota. That would be in our Congress, a national senator, if you don't know her name. Amy Klobuchar. And Kelly Morrison. Kelly Morrison, who's our state senator right from my local area here in the western suburbs of Minnesota in Congressional District 3. Kelly Morrison, that would be Dr. The doctor, Kelly Morrison, that's a doctor. She's a doctor. She went to medical school. That must mean she's smarter than I am. Of course, because she's a doctor. She's a doctor. And she is a state senator in the Senate of the Minnesota legislature. She is a senator. Right here in my my area. Let's start with Dr. Morrison. The doctor, she's, you know, you can go look at a picture of her. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put her face up, but she's a very attractive woman and uh, very friendly, and she's got a wonderful smile, and she goes to all of the events, 
and she's on social media. She's really good with social media, which, of course, our Republican counterparts suck at because their average age is 462 years old, and their leader, Ronald McDaniel, doesn't know anything about social media or being cool or the importance of being cool in politics because culture's upstream of politics. So when President Trump walks in with Kid Rock, hey, that's cool. I mean, that's cool to me. Kid Rock's walking with a cocktail, got his hat on, his gla- his shades on. He's walking with the president. I mean, that's cool. And here's the Republican Party, and all they do is not cool. They specialize in not cool. But Kelly Morrison, she's cool. The doctor, first of all, she's a doctor. That makes her cool. She's got experience working with people. She's cool. And she goes to all the events, and she posts, and she's constantly posting. But let me tell you what is her greatest accomplishments here in Minnesota. She was the state senator who wrote the law. That was the third law passed here in Minnesota when the Democrat got control of the state government here in Minnesota. Because, of course, our Minnesota GOP sucks. It's a turnout machine that fails to do turnout. And I'm going to come back to that. I didn't forget bank your vote. I want to get back to that. The first bill. I like saying this. makes me happy. First bill. Minnesota is now a state that has automatic voter registration when I get my driver's license. Second bill. Second bill. Illegal aliens can get Minnesota driver's licenses, which means, hey, if I'm not on my absentee ballot board, these people are just going to zip right on through and vote. It's not a big lie. It's not a fraud. It's politics, and the Republican Party sucks at it. They suck at it, and they're getting outplayed because the people that they're fighting against are beating them, and they're just happy to just march right in there and keep their jobs and be the controlled opposition. And the third bill, Kelly Morrison, the third bill, that's the doctor, Kelly Morrison, the third bill that she sponsored that passed enshrined in abortion rights for Minnesota women up to birth, nine months. Hey, hey, I had a change of thinking. This used to be called infanticide, of course, but now it's the law of the land, and this is a heresy of democracy. We think here in this country that if we vote for it, it's right. It's morally correct. That is not the case. In a democracy, we can vote for things that are morally incorrect, and we do it all the time and we're doing it with greater and greater frequency. So Dr. Kelly Morrison, the doctor, because of course she's a doctor, of course she knows everything that I don't know about women's reproductive health care. Health care. It's health. First of all, I need to get this right, don't I? It's health care when we abort a baby at nine months. That's health care because we're taking care of the mother, right? Okay. That was her bill. If I sound a little bit... Um, sarcastic, it's because I am. Because she is a doctor who wrote a bill that got passed that drove a wedge right through the Minnesota electorate. That's great. A second bill that she's working on is for euthanasia to legalize the killing of the sick and the dying here. And when I say killing them, I mean, they have other words for it. But going back to the last podcast where we said a fundamental 
of Judeo-Christian culture is God has mastery over life and death. No, 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 no. The doctors, the Dr. Kelly Morrison has the abortion bill and the euthanasia bill, and this is her great contribution to Minnesota politics. And guess what? Our CD3 congressman, Dean Phillips, has declared to run the audacity, the audacity to declare to run as a Democrat in the Democrat primaries against President Biden. And oh, this did not make the Democrat establishment happy. So Kelly Morrison, the abortion bill and the euthanasia bill doctor, she has declared her candidacy to take Dean Phillips' seat and matriculate to our National Congress where she can continue to work for a woman's reproductive health care rights and the rights of the dying to request their deaths. Okay, that's great. That's great. And then we have Sen- Senator Amy Klobuchar. Just read you a couple of her recent tweets. A couple of her recent tweets. Amy, I'm going to read them. Exactly. I'm going to read what she wrote. I spoke on the Senate floor asking my colleagues to support Ukraine. Ukraine has persevered against all odds. We must continue to stand with them and our allies in their fight against Vladimir Putin's barbaric invasion. Here's another one. As I said today on the Senate floor, when the U.S. stands with Ukraine, we also stand with democracies across the world. Germany is doing its part to stand up to Putin's invasion. We need to continue to do ours. I mean, she even goes back in time because history does matter. Here's another tweet from this week. During the Vietnam War, the Hmong people put their lives on the line to help our troops, and thousands moved to Minnesota after the war. Well, they didn't move to Minnesota. They were put here by the Democrat administration to be sure that Minnesota became like California. Okay, that's great. That's politics. No harm, no foul. That's how the game is played. My colleagues and I introduced a bipartisan bill to award the Congressional Gold Medal to Hmong veterans in recognition of their courageous service. All right, this is my point. And then I'm going to finish with bank the vote. This is my point. Senator Klobuchar, if you look at her picture, and please go look at her online, she looks like a really nice middle-aged woman. You know, like a the mother of a friend of mine, let's just say. Or if someone, I can go over to her house, we can have a hot dish, a glass of wine, talk about the Vikings, and she's always tweeting about the Vikings. She portrays herself as a very non-threatening, very kind, very appropriate person, very gentle, very gentle. She's a woman after all. But her two most important issues are supporting the military wherever it wants and needs money and a woman's access to abortion. Those are her two issues. They're death issues. This is a woman. This is a woman whose career revolves around the promotion of death. And then we got the doctor. Remember, doctors, above all else, do no harm. Above all else, do no harm. Doctors, take that oath. Above all else, do no harm. There's Dr. Kelly Morrison. 
she's also sweet looking and kind and sounds nice and she's super friendly. These two women are so friendly, so kind, so warm and welcoming. And Dr. Morrison, her two great contributions to Minnesota politics are access to abortion at nine months, formerly known as infanticide. Please, I'm, you know, I'm being kind about this, YouTube. I'm not trying to get down on it. These are the laws of my land. I'm just bringing out the point that these two women both are in full agreement about a woman's right to choose, and I understand that. we got an issue here. But it's about the death of living organisms, right? I mean, we have to agree that when we have an abortion at nine months at least, a living organism that feels is killed. Let's not even get into the intricacies of before 15 weeks, what that means. But there's a death going on here, death. Death of the people that are ill, euthanasia. And I'm not saying this is right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm saying it's an implosion of the pre-existing timber in Western culture that says God is the master of life and death, not humans. So these two ladies agree that we got to get an explosive on that timber because we don't want an unseen, unknown man in the sky, like George Carlin called it, something that really doesn't exist. Because if you believed it existed, you wouldn't have the balls to do this. You can't believe that because there'd be judgment, right? Throw all that out. It's wrong. These people are promoting a scientific worldview where human beings could intervene into matters of life and death. Okay. And then Klobuchar, she's like the number one rah-rah cheerleader for getting money for the military. And these are women. And traditionally, you know, because I go back before the liberation of women. I go back to the time where women worked in the home as homemakers. They were the transmitters of safety and peace and love and gentleness and provided, you know, the glue that kept families together and moderated the aggressive and sometimes very inappropriate behavior of the men in their lives because, you know, we could fly off the handle and kill people. So we needed to be kind of, you know, that toxic masculinity. Rein that in. We're dangerous. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact I can be dangerous. I've lost my temper. And even when I haven't lost my temper, I've been in situations where things have happened that have been unkind. So, you know, when when my mother or my sister or, you know, my daughters, you know, got down on me for my aggressive behavior. I mean, this was an, an interesting and appreciated critique. I'm just trying to bring out that bringing forward death in a smiley face and a dress is a great disguise. Look around us. It's everywhere. Bank your vote. I'm going to go out with bank your vote in a story. When I was doing these classes for the Republican Party, when I was still trying to support them before they let me know they hated me, and how did they let me know? They looked right in my face and told me they hated me. Why did they hate me? Oh, because I talk about things like borders, balanced budgets, protecting the safety of my children and your children, uh, 
good education for the kids, well-being training for the kids, you know, things that they don't want to hear about. They just want to hear about empire. When I was still doing these classes, there was a class that was set up and the concept of elections were discussed. And I asked the presenter, who was an expert in the field, do I, as a Republican Party officer, go out and do this bank-to-vote thing, which means going out and ballot harvesting and getting votes early? And he looked at me and he said, this was an expert that the party asked to come in and talk to us, activists. He said, you know who's on your absentee ballot board? And I have to be frank with you, at that moment, I didn't know there was an absentee ballot board, and most likely, most of the activists in that auditorium, three, 400 people, they didn't know either. And he said, if you don't know who's on your absentee ballot board, don't collect votes early because you're collecting votes for the Democrat because they're on the boards and they'll take those absentee ballots and they'll get rid of the Republican ballots and they'll aggrandize the Democrat ballots. And that's politics. That's not fraud. That's politics. And he gave the recommendation to our party, get control of your election machinery first. And what does Rhonda McDaniel do? What does the Minnesota Republican Party do? They tell us activists <clears throat> to go out and get early votes, and they know that the ballot boards and the election officials are controlled by the Democrat. This is how insane a world I'm living in. We can't even get the horse before the cart. We put the cart before the horse. How are we going to go anywhere? I know I've been sarcastic today. I want to... Um, I want you to understand that part of the way I'm presenting some of these ideas are in the hopes that I can get this episode up and the ideas will be accepted by my controllers because it's not my platform. And I'm going to say again in closing, it's not the institutions. It's the people that are in the institutions. And the way to get better people into these institutions is upstream of politics. It happens at the level of education. So Professor Penn is going to be thinking about education. How are we going to educate our children in a way that preserves and promotes the values that have worked on this planet for thousands and thousands of years, or at least worked better than other ideologies? And we're about to get a real master class here in the United States of America of what happens when you tear down a building, when you demolish a beautiful building and you put up a shanty in its place. And that's what we're in the process of doing. We're tearing something down that's universal and noble and is self-correcting because it's divine. We're tearing that down, and in its place we're putting up a man-made edifice that's an artifice. And on that note, I want to wish you a well-being weekend. I'm looking forward to the live chat. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. I hope you get outside and enjoy the, the last of the good weather that we're going to have this week. Be well, and thank you very much for joining.